so many questions around the future of work. Today's guest, Chris Dimming, thinks anthropology might hold all the answers to our most difficult challenges we have today. And then we're gonna discuss Google, the hybrid work from home model, and how does it apply and what do we think about that as for the future of work and how does it apply to the industry as a whole, Google's such a guiding light, and uh, we want to discuss what does that mean for every organization, and uh, also from an anthropologic, polit I don't know if that's the right word, Chris will certainly tell me anyway and give me directions, but uh, before we move on, I just want to say hello and welcome to Chris Dimming from, Chris Dimming, how are you doing, sir? Great to have you. I'm good. I'm great, Steve. Thanks for your, uh, thanks for introducing me. I mean, I think that, uh, I think that anthropology holds some of the answers, but, uh, but not, not, not all. I, I'm just taking your title, mate. I'm just taking your title from the article that you've written. But uh, but anyway, it's 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 going to be great. And I, and I, you know, as I said to you before, I, I'm so excited to have to have you here. You know, we've been emailing, you've been sending me presentations, and we've had you know conversations about your background and what your approach is, and across multiple industries in multiple geographies around the world and your approach and your process and uh, thinking, you know, that logical thinking analysis, I think is fascinating. And I think there's a lot for us to learn um, as we think about workplace. So I'm looking forward to digging right into this. But, uh, you know, we're just we're just chatting. You're in Virginia. I'm in I'm in New York and uh, I've got a nice blue sky. You haven't quite got a blue sky right there right now. But uh, and we were chatting before about, you know, are you a morning person? Or are, you, are you an evening person? You're kind of like mm, somewhere in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of a, a boring sort of mid-afternoon mid mid-morning <laughs> hey, it's, it's just you know and we're going to get in dig into some of this because i think it's it's a, i think it's a fascinating thing when you think about team dynamics you know i'm a morning person there are a lot of people on my team that are evening people and you're a middle of the day people how do teams come together in those things right because sometimes energy levels fluctuate how do you align those different things? But those are going to be some of the topics we're going to talk about today, folks. So, uh, so, uh, so, thank you for coming along. If this is your first time coming across the channel, thank you for joining us. I hope you find value in uh, the conversation between Chris and I today. Uh, feel free to drop comments or questions for us uh, in the in the section below. Uh, we'll get to them and it'll help direct the conversation. So we appreciate your participation. If you do like it, do give us a thumbs up. Uh, that helps YouTube tell people that people may like this and, and so help spread the word for us. Uh, do subscribe to the channel and uh, hit that notification bell so you're alerted to all upcoming videos. We typically broadcast each weekday morning, Monday to Thursday at 8 a.m. Eastern. So, uh, so do come and don't miss out. And there is a link to a newsletter where we will send to you uh, links of the show, what we're talking about, and also some of the content at Open Source Workplace. Another thing we've just added is the Discord channel. This is where the community gets together to share information, communicate, talk, get ideas, and actually get access to great research that people are putting together. I'm, I'm blown away by some of the information that people are sharing and the links that people go to to collect information. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's fantastic, and, and I've certainly found val value in it, and I've certainly learned from the folks on our Discord channel. So thank you for those folks who have joined, and I do encourage you to go ahead and join so uh so without further ado chris i gotta pull this up because you know this is this is what you're this is where you told us anthropology might hold answers to the most difficult workplace challenges now before we dig into that article what is anthropology just so that you know the audience is totally aware of, of what anthropology is right so anthropology is the 
study of people and um, social context in a particular place. And so uh, essentially it involves methodology of observing how people interact with each other and also asking the questions about why they think the things they do and why they do the things they do. And then in turn, I'm an applied anthropologist as I practice anthropology outside of academia. Got it, got it. So I mean, you just take what you just said, how you described it. It's just such a natural fit, workplace and anthropology, right? Just the, the observation and analysis and really digging into social key interactions and then how do you create an environment around that? Um, so how did you get into workplace? Because I often find it really interesting to uh, understand how people fall into workplace. Very few people actually go out of their way to get into workplace. So I'm just curious how you got into it. Um, well, it was an interest that appeared. I um, didn't really know much about workplace strategy at the time I started to think about it. Um, but my PhD research was in Pristina and Kosovo, and a lot of what I was doing was I was observing how people were interacting primarily in public spaces and how they were forming relationships with each other. Um, my research in Pristina involved observing um, interactions in cafes and bars and squares and so that gave me an appreciation for the importance of space and then as i was focusing on um sorts of the interactions i found that actually a, a type of proxy for interpersonal relationship was the exchange of coffee and so through exchanging coffee people were able to maintain and start relationships with others and that sort of dynamic that I was watching of this process of continually forming and maintaining relationships combined with the importance of the space led me to be primarily interested in space and how people interact after the PhD. And then as I started to think about what I wanted to do, someone said, well, Chris, you want to be an applied anthropologist. You seem to have a really direct perception of impact. Why don't you think maybe about how people interact with the built environment in some way. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then um, some conversations led to workplace strategy. And of course I thought, well, what's this? But th that sounds interesting. So I went, I read a few um, white papers. And I talked to a few people in the, in the field and I realized that some of the conversations around collaboration were particularly applicable to me because I had been looking at how people um, interact and form relationships. And so between um, in order to collaborate, you need to actually have a degree of trust and you need to have a degree of social capital in order to collaborate with people around you. And so there is a direct parallel that I really wanted to explore further. And it's, I, I hear you explain what your research and how you observed, you know, communal place, coffee shops and so on and so forth. And my brain just goes, I picture the workplace because in essence, that's what we're trying to create. We're trying to create communities. We're trying to create safe environments where individuals can come together, share their knowledge, uh, and feel free and have and have that ability to actually optimize themselves right um, yeah. so obviously how do you then take that study and then apply it to the workplace what sort of some of your methodologies that you take and apply to that sure so there are um, every anthropologist is different and um, but there are there is a set of methods that's more associated with anthropologists and maybe other methods um, we often use something called ethnography, and ethnography is essentially the creation of um, a study of the 
people you're working with. And then you can use multiple different types of methods in order to do that. Just that ethnography is the general approach that we take is we're focused on the people and then we're focused on learning about the people. We're focused on learning about um, how culture as a set of ideas and a set of practices, how it emerges within a particular space, but to explore culture and to explore sort of that dialogue between basically the ideas of how we see the world with what we actually do. Um, we take quite a few different methods. Um, one of the ones that's very much associated is called participant observation. And that's what we were describing earlier. That's basically the kind of the, you might have read somewhere of an anthropologist maybe going to a bar and then scribbling down some notes and maybe running to um, or running to the restroom or something to actually write them down in full. Um, that's kind of participant observation. So you're immersing yourself within the space, but you're you're writing down your responses to the space, but also what people are doing within the space and what they're saying, um, their um, their sort of their motions, the way they're portraying themselves, the uh, and how they're also interacting with each other, just the practices and going on. You're trying to soak it all in, basically. And you're trying to immerse yourself. And that, um, what that does is that gives you a picture of sort of the what, of what people are doing. And it starts to give you a impression of um, sorts of developments that are happening that may not have been clear through a survey, for example. Um, that leads to another point is that um, although participant observation is a qualitative method, we also often do quantitative methods. And I view myself as a mixed methods anthropologist. And what I mean by that is that I think that um, it's very important to have the qualitative side so that you can kind of understand more of the why of what's happening, but or to get a good impression of the patterns, then um, we also certainly acknowledge and we, we certainly acknowledge and we certainly do surveys, which um, we would view as a way to see patterns of interaction. We would view surveys as a way to look at. So I think if we're looking at a workplace context, the survey would um, give us an idea of, um, okay, so how satisfied are people in the, with the like the employee satisfaction surveys? So how satisfied are, is the workforce? How satisfied are they with the tools? How satisfied are they with the space? But then um, we wouldn't just do that. We would want to go to a step further and we would want to actually um, go into the spaces and observe how they're interacting. And then we'd want to do interviews. And so interviews are a way for us to, in a structured manner, get at, to ask why they're doing something. So it might have been we observed um, people going to one meeting room over another. In an interview setting, we might ask them just why they did that. <laughs> and, um, and I mean, because as an anthropologist, we view ourselves as observers and also learners. So we would just ask them, okay, so what is it about this room versus that one? Um, why did you do that? Um, what kind of collaboration tools are you using? Why are you using them? Why aren't you using any others? And then we might want to also go maybe a bit more into um, how they work with each other. So maybe going beyond this individual perception of being one user within the space to thinking more about how they're collaborating with people in um, the space as well and how they're forming relationships with their colleagues and how trust is being formed in order. So in order to do that, we would also pay attention to how they're interacting with their colleagues. We want to see more of how they view collaboration. Is it one-way street or is it like a two-way street? And what sort of what do what happens? What comes out of that collaboration? What do they get out of it? So that's sort of the things that we would explore 
Um, and there are a bunch of different methods to do that. And there are processes to do that in a remote way and in a business-friendly way. So I think I'll just leave that up to you to kind of, <laughs> what would you like to dig in further? <laughs> no, it's, it's and, I, and I'm smiling, Chris, because quite honestly, those people who know me just know that I'm so excited about it because they just know how my, my mind works. And the way you've articulated it is, I think, a natural process that I think most people, organizations, you know, call it HR departments, you know, real estate, uh, technology, we're all going through and we're all asking ourselves, how do we get to that end game? And what you've just articulated is a process I think we all need to go through. Um, and, and I can see many challenges in the today's environment. And as we think about your process, you just are outlined there, there are elements that we can do and there's elements that are really hard to do right now, right? So surveys, so we can get that qualitative data that sort of survey, okay, I want this, I want this, I want to go in X amount of days, I, I, I want to have a hybrid model, I want to do this, all the rest. What we can't do is observe, right? The observation comes, well, everyone's at home, there is, okay, what can we do? We can see outcomes that people are producing, but we can't actually see the environment with which they're operating. We don't know how their perceptions or their behaviors is going to shift as we go through time. So how do we assess that element of it? What would be your guidance? Understanding that you're not going to have the definitive answer. I appreciate that. But how should people approach that? Um, so I guess to take a step back um, to show more about where my perspective is coming from. Yeah. Um, before getting back into workplace, I um, worked as an applied researcher with an umbrella of, um, of tech startups and within the tech industry and within overall product design there is a field called user experience research and um, anthropologists are definitely involved in ux research and they have been in a while um, have been for a while and one of the as a result of um, sort of the way that applied anthropology has developed over the years there has been sort of the creation of a toolkit of approaches that you can use for mm -hmm. remote research. And so um, and that sort of accelerated with the pandemic. You have things called netnography, which would be a digital um, version of ethnography. So in the case of netnography, um, you could actually see how people are organizing and how people are collaborating on the remote platforms that they're using. It's a specific approach to observation but adapted to a digital context and then um, in terms of interviews you can also do interviews remotely through um, through zoom and through other methods and so there isn't in terms of applying an ethnographic approach now there are um, very few barriers just because um, there's a set of methods that um, it's continually being developed. Now, I think the, the question is more of, um, well, when do you apply them, right? Um, and so what I would actually say is to kind of to take a step back, I would be very curious to learn more about how people, how remote workers are experiencing work as they see it now, how they're experiencing um, remote work and how they're experiencing collaboration with each other remotely because um, the work, as I think the pandemic has shown, the workplace itself isn't just the physical environment. It's just, it's more of a, I see it as more of a collection of spaces. And I see it as more of a collection of processes that people go through. And so you're in one space when 
like through Skype like we are now. Mm-hmm. But um, if we were both in offices, we would also simultaneously be in a physical setting, but we're also working right now. And so um, I would definitely be very interested in learning more about um, not just the satisfaction that remote workers have with their environments, but also um, to hear from them directly. Um, how are they interacting right now? How are they collaborating with each other? What spaces are they using right now? Because if we, and I'll also want to observe how they're interacting, maybe to take part in um, a Zoom call or maybe to do um, and observations of a Slack platform that they're using, because all of this can tell us about what their experience will be using, what their experience will be like when they return to the workplace. So, what tools do they are they really finding useful now, mm-hmm. and what processes are they doing now? Because those processes and those tools will then be still be used when they, if they haven't returned to the office, they'll still be used when they return to the office. So, I think if we look at the remote working experience, then we can get clues, and we can sort of forecast what will be needed for whenever um, the official return is. Yeah, and it's, it's, I, I totally agree with you. And um, I, I do believe absolutely in the, the, the approach that you're mentioning. And uh, the, the way I sort of come at it is it is absolutely 100% focus groups. It has to be location by location, team by team within those locations, conversations with each of them, like you said, interviews. But then it's also getting to the deep understanding why, right? So... Yeah you know, what type of work are you doing? So I do a lot, you know, 50% focus work is what somebody may say. Okay, so where is the best place that you perceive for that to happen? We think about, you know, where people are going and where they're gonna come back to, obviously they'll work from home. Where is the best place that you perceive that to be? Collaboration, you know, whenever you're talking across a team, where is the best place for that team to have that collaboration? For some, it may well be, like you say, it may be on a remote, it may be on some whiteboard on a screen that they can just simply do, get on and and, and, com- and collaborate together. But for others, it's, no, they need a whiteboard, they need to be in a room. And, and trying to get to that level of detail, it, it really yeah. is, it really is, I almost look at it as hand-to-hand combat, right? Because you have to get into the weeds, you have to get into the trenches, you have to try and engage yourself to really get to know the employees at every location around the world. This is hard. Really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's that's where um, using that's where I would advocate for the use of surveys, at least would be to look at um, the that will give you a taste for the patterns of what people are doing. But then yeah. you can that's where, once you have an idea of the patterns, that's when you start to go into it. But you can maybe start with a focus group. And then once you have a focus group of people, then you start to think, okay, well, now I want to understand what this person says outside of their colleagues. <laughs> so so then you go interview them. Or maybe as you're doing the focus group, you're thinking, okay, but what people are saying is different than what they do. So I'll go mm. and I will now observe them maybe through Slack. And so I think it, it's all really important. And I agree with you. I think that um, I think understanding the tasks and understanding the priorities that people have, I think those who worked for you, I think as we were saying the other day, will have a good understanding of what they need to do in order to keep their job. And they'll tell you because they um, want to be successful in what they do. And you're basically, you're, you're going out of your way to help them because right. you're asking them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think just getting that level of detail is possible. But I think it's also very useful because as we move into a hybrid workplace, there would be an arrangement of uh, spaces that can be used. 
Yeah, I just find it interesting that you, 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 you don't entirely believe what employees tell us, you know. <laughs> but uh, but then you know just taking what you just said, I just want to move on to to another slide you sent. I took this from one of your presentations, harnessing the complexity for workplace experience. So we just mentioned the social network analysis, analysis and visualize a collaboration, right? So you know that's in essence what you're just is that what you just described, or is that something different that we need to be considering? Hmm. Um, so. Um... I said at one point that I'm a mixed methods anthropologist and social network analysis is um, another tool that I use. And um, to give you an overview and then I'll go into it with an example for my fieldwork to make it more a bit more concrete. So social network analysis is a tool that's been derived from um, it's often referred to as network science and it's often connected with big data, mm. um, like the term big data. but the goal of network analysis is to visualize the relationships that people have. So each person is within network analysis, each person is considered a node. And then, but they're not just separate, they're also connected with other people. And so there are other nodes in these networks, but then they're connected through uh, lines, which are referred to as ties. And what that can show you is I can give you a good picture of actually the structure of social relationships within a particular setting. And then you can even go further and then um, you can visualize, for example, if we're talking about exchange of emails, then when someone sends an email to another person, that can be visualized in the form of an arrow. Mm -hmm. And then the other person, if they send one back, that's another arrow. So you can have one arrow going to them and they can have an arrow going to you. But then if you take the picture of the diagram that's produced, then you have um, and you can see sort of who's interacting with whom and you can see who has interacted with someone else over time. And then you can go into the strength of those ties. And so I think when we have the phrase, the strength of weak ties, and we start to think about the weak ties and how beneficial the weak ties are for workplace cohesion and social capital, that's really coming from network analysis because the um, you can quantify the strength through, for example, looking at the amount of interactions, or maybe if you're, or maybe it's towards the different settings where people interact. You can quanti you can have that taken account in, for in the network diagram as well. Um, and then I think, in terms of the weak ties, I think just to give an example of where that argument is coming from. So a guy with the last name of um, Granovetter did a network study in uh, in Boston. His interest really, um, at one point, was looking at how how do people get a job, <laughs> and so um, what he found just through this massive network study that he did was he found that um, dense social networks provide a lot of support and they provide um, necessary support that people need. But he also found that um, the people that you don't interact with. Most often are often the ones who are going to be giving you information about jobs. So you might get your support from very close friends, but you might learn about the job through a former colleague who's met five years ago. And the reason is that um, knowledge flow between close friends is much more regular. But between um, an equational, occasional acquaintance, it really doesn't happen that often. So you're more likely to hear interesting things from people you don't really know. And that's just how the dynamics flow. Um, and I think just to bring it back to the workplace and the built environment, I used it when I was in Pristina in Kosovo as a way to 
um, actually understand the relationships that are happening before me. So I had observed and I had asked, and but I still wanted to have a good concrete image of how exactly those um, behaviors were affecting relationships. Because one thing to talk about is but one thing to actually see it on paper. And so what I did was I asked uh, the people I had worked with, um, well, first off, I had found that the cafe was a setting for social interaction. And I had found that the exchange of coffee could symbolize interaction. So I knew from my uh, observations that was a really important thing. And I had decided to, and I had hypothesized that that could be a way for people to form relationships with each other. So I tested that hypothesis by asking um, the people I was speaking with to write down the names of those they had coffee with like the current week mm -hmm. and then the amount of times they had coffee with them. And then I asked them to keep a diary of their interactions for the following week and to do the same thing. And I did this three times with people over the course of my time in Pristina. And what emerged was a diagram of, um, of coffee interactions and cafe networks that uh, when overlaid with the um, ethnographic data that I'd gathered, that really showed how social capital emerges within the, within the space. And with, well, you can use this in a workplace setting through um, asking people perhaps, okay, who did you have a meeting with previous week? And who are you going to have a meeting with the next week? And what that'll do is that'll very simply and very quickly give you a good picture of even how people are collaborating in the environment, because you'll, if you can drill down into exactly what kind of interaction you're looking for, but it'll also give you a good picture of, um, knowledge flow within the environment on mm -hmm. how, um, and if you overlay that with maybe a diagram of the space, you could also look at the networks and how they sort of how they could potentially shift due to the spaces they're in. So there are a lot of direct applications. There's so many questions, <laughs> Chris, and, and everything you just say because it's for me it's fascinating because I think about those notes. I think about the social cohesion that you're able to study and understand with that depth of analysis. But I, I just wonder with those social cues and the nodes, whenever we're in this remote environment and we're looking to get people back to the office and we're trying to figure out how do we do that how how, how would you take that sort of analysis um understand you can't observe but yeah. directly right but there's probably other ways you said about using yeah. technology mm -hmm. but then how do organizations decide or mm -hmm. provide employees with information that may be beneficial to them and the organization through that analysis of who should be at home and who should be in the office and when well i think that um so it's basically kind of how insights are derived and then how they're distributed, right? Because it's a yeah. wonderful thing to have all this information, but then how does it actually get put into action? So um, a way that you can do that is actually through the um, design thinking process um, I used very broadly. So in the first step of design thinking, you have the, um, the part where you define the problem. And then once you define the problem, you then start to ideate and create solutions. Then once you've created solutions, you then prototype and then you test. Um, and it kind of continues like that in an iterative fashion. And so um, where this fits in is this really fits in with helping you to learn more about the user and learn more about the employee. Um, and then the way that you sort of bring that into dialogue is then... Um, what someone like me would do is that you would have done all this stuff, but then you would try to bring that into wider circulation through doing things like um, through doing things like workshops and doing things like um, 
sort of sessions where you're talking with stakeholders about what it is the employees and the users are um, of the workspace would be saying and what they're feeling, and what they're doing. But then you're also potentially using it as a catalyst for change through bringing in. Um, so you've done all these things, but now you're going to um, through workshops. You can um, tell the people you're working you worked with as part of the research, and you can bring you can tell them and the stakeholders what was happening and so it could become part of a discussion so you're getting the information but as an anthropologist you're also constantly trying to um, bring it back into circulation or to prompt discussion yeah and i was going to ask you that is there then a feedback loop in that process to the employee so the employee gets to okay this is what i said this is what is observed and then this is the reality and therefore they get that feedback loop yeah yeah, yeah. Th that's yeah. entirely part of it because yeah. anthropologists um Researchers in general, even though they might not want to admit it, are embedded within the process. As soon as you start doing research with someone, you're involving yourself in their life in some way, even if it is as simple as giving them a survey. Yeah. Um, what anthropologists do is that they acknowledge that their world, their presence has, but then um, they constantly analyze it so they can take it into account. But then they will go back and they'll say, OK, so this is what we saw and I wanted to let you know that. And so then as there is a feedback loop, the anthropologists continue to be, can continue to be there. And so as solutions are prototyped and developed, the anthropologists can go back and they can see more of, okay, so how is the environment changing? What's what role in that shift? What did that role play in changing the structure of collaboration here? So there is constantly a dialogue and a process that the anthropologist is part of. Chris, it's absolutely fascinating. And uh, I mean, I have so many more questions and we definitely got to get you back on and sort of run through some <laughs> of these things again, because, you know, as, as we think about the complexities is what everyone's trying to solve for today and tomorrow, the uncertainty and the, uh, we don't we have no ability of what the, the future looks like. Right. So it's it's I'm just fascinated to hear some of your thoughts and hear some of your guidance and uh, lessons that you can share with the community. Um, sure, and, sounds uh, good. I'd love to get you. I'd love to get you back on, but uh, like, thank you. I appreciate it, mate. I really, really do. Um, folks, if if you've enjoyed listening to Chris, please do reach out to him. There is a link below where you can reach to out, out to him on on LinkedIn. Um, do ask him some questions. He's very responsive. He shares his his insights, and uh, he, he's he is he's all over LinkedIn. And, and uh, honestly, he is he is a great source of information, a great source of knowledge, and, and a very different perspective, as we've just heard. Uh, very logical and very process oriented and data driven. So, um, uh, yeah. So thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time today. Um, well, thanks and so much for inviting me, Steve. No, I appreciate it as well. It's 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 my pleasure. I, I've I've learned a lot, and I will continue to learn a lot from you. I know. So uh, so folks, look. Thank you. No show tomorrow. Back on Monday. Uh, but uh, have a great weekend. And uh, Chris, thanks again. Thanks a lot, Steve. Cheers.